Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast. We have something new today. Yes, you very cleverly asked the Facebook group, which you can join, by the way. We'll put the information in the show notes. About 3,000 nice writers there to help you and talk about writing. Hooray. But yes, you very cleverly asked our group a very interesting question, and I'm loving the responses we're getting. Yeah, I am too. And so first, I'll read you guys the question, but I want to tell you why I asked the question. You know, I'm definitely noticing lately just kind of an uptick on people's reaction to critique and just how sometimes the reaction just confuses them. Sometimes it makes them angry. Sometimes it sends them in a different direction that they never wanted to go on. And I thought we could just talk about like, I'll just read it. I'll just read it. So I said that we were going to start a podcast on critique, how to handle it. And I asked the Facebook group, the, you know, the genius cluster that we have here, do you have tips that we can share on the podcast on how simply to handle critique? And we had 55 um, responses in just a couple of hours. And so the thing is that, the thing that's really interesting is I believe that like, this is something that people who've been in the writing business for a long time actually kind of make peace with. and. It's the thing that new writers struggle with the most. I agree that eventually it gets less painful, but I don't think anyone should pressure themselves to be just ecstatic with any feedback they get. I think you're allowed to filter every bit of advice you get about your work through just kind of how you feel about it, if it matches your vision, if you think they understand your work. Yeah, I was just saying, it's funny. I think before I critique anybody, I say, this is just an opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that this is my point of view via my experience with, I always start every time I critique somebody by saying, this is just my point of view. This is just kind of through my lens of experience. And so I know that I always critique with that screenwriting you know, kind of rules in mind. And I'm not sure that's always helpful, but sometimes I can see ways to, you know, approach your writing differently that might be more efficient, but it's just an opinion (laughs) and I might be absolutely wrong. So taking critique and thinking about it and doing what you like with it, a critique is like a gift. But it doesn't mean that you can't return it, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it comes with a gift receipt. <laughs> I know. So let's talk about some of these things that, that you know, people talked about here. And this is something that I really love from Annie. She said, sometimes a critique partner can hit on the right problem, but not the right solution. Maybe they yeah. don't think a particular plot line is relevant, but adjusting the pacing will actually solve the problem instead. Don't necessarily assume you have to revise with that exact feedback in mind. I think that happens all the time. People give you feedback, but really it's something else, but they know something's wrong. 
Absolutely. It's so interesting how there's often a chain reaction when you change one element. You know, it can be something like increasing the sensory language can help the voice. You know, one little thing that you do probably will affect all of the elements around it as well. It's kind of this interconnected web of all these things that are happening on the page. And I think that's such a smart thing to say, though. So there's this quote here that Maureen posted from Neil Gaiman saying, remember, When people tell you something's wrong or doesn't work for them, they're almost always right. When they tell you exactly what they think is wrong and how to fix it, they are almost always wrong. So Mm -hmm. I think this is wonderful because, and it's kind of one of those things that like I thought of, but not in such an elegant way. When I give my clients critique on the agent side, often I say, okay, there are going to be many ways to fix this. But often my brain thinks in solutions instead of problems. So if you don't like my suggestion to make this change, let's let's extrapolate a little bit. Let's go back and be like, okay, I probably wanted this change because I thought this thing was wrong. What are the other ways that we could go about it? I hope everyone who gives critique is self-aware enough to know that aspect of it. It's probably unrealistic. But even if you're working with a critique partner who's like, no, you need to set this in space why do they think that? Is it that they don't like the world you've created? Is it that it feels speculative, but that's accidental? Try to take a few steps back and break down that thought process where they think it's go from A to B, you know, earth to space, but actually it was all these other little things they were thinking about along the way. Yeah. And this kind of piggybacks, Lita Myla said, if you're able to recognize the value in such a change, take the plunge, We're working your manuscript for a few months and knowing your book, your book is the best possible you can do is is so much better than wondering what if. So I do think sometimes that identifying, thinking about, and then talking about the what ifs and playing with the what ifs, what if this character, you know, was more like this person or what if this world had this rule in it or what if this relationship had this other character in the middle of it that changes the dynamics. And so those what if questions, often you can see veins in your story that can unlock such magic and depth that you might not have had before. It's going to have a whole butterfly effect though. You know, one little change is going to change so many things throughout your story, depending on what the change is. But everything that comes after the change on the page might be seen differently by the reader, which is a really interesting thing to think about. That's true. This is interesting, too. Um, Sarah said, I think it's important to be able to differentiate between opinions and concrete critiques. Example, someone saying they felt your first pages were too dark or that your MC is too cynical. These really boil down to opinions, but it's vital to tune them out unless that person truly represents your target audience. And that I think that is very true. And I feel like sometimes when I am um, critiquing sci-fi, I know that I'm not as sharp with it. You know, it's not a genre that I read that much. And I can sometimes see what's happening on the page, but you really want a true sci-fi person digging deep that loves the genre. I think it's also true that You know, you're not going to like 100% of the people you meet in real life. You're not Mm -hmm. going to like 100% of the people you meet in fiction. I think it, it does matter that you get the right person. So I don't know if you remember, Julie, MTV used to have a show called Daria. And I do, of course. I love 
Daria. Yeah. I dressed up as Daria for Halloween, <laughs> went to high school, and everyone's like, yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but a lot of people didn't like her. They said she's too negative. She's too cynical. She's too flat. She's too – everything she says is in a monotone for the most part, which is what made me love her because I could see all of these layers to what was going on beneath the surface. But I think if you take her at face value, I guess all of that is true. And so just as not everyone's going to love Daria, even though she certainly has a fan club even now, many years later, not everyone's going to love every character. Not everyone's going to love every world. Not everyone's going to love every story. You know, it's funny. I think back to my teaching days and kids would say, I'm not going to read the book with that that symbol on it. And I was like, the Newberry? (laughs) (laughs) And they would be like, and I remember kids saying to me year after year, those are the books adults like for kids. (laughs) Maybe. Can't you just give me goosebumps? You know? And I, and like, that's true as well. Like knowing your audience and knowing what, you know, and like adults like books for certain things, kids like books for certain reasons, you know? And, and like that is, and I talk about comprehension a lot, but like, we're all kind of like, you know, we all have our own reality. And what's cool about books is that it pushes us in different realities. And so when we're in different realities, sometimes our comprehension can get off because we're just not grounded enough. And that's what we talk about a lot when it comes to critique. But often it's just like, this is so far from from where I'm at right now. And it might be during a pandemic, people are like, we're looking for something lighter. We're talking about the, you know, the rise of the books of lightness. And it might just be like the right book. It's totally perfect. It's just the wrong time, (laughs) you know, for this Mm. climate. And that can be, you know, interesting too. Like, you're like, well, my book must not be good because it's not being picked up. It might be a masterpiece. (laughs) It's just not hitting during, you know, the political and social climate of today. Right. Yeah, that is one thing that's really hard and that I think a lot of people have to learn over and over again is that getting published doesn't mean you're good. It means you've got the right project in the right place in the right time and and that you find the right person who loves it. And I mean, I'm sure there are all kinds of beautiful masterpiece dystopias out there that are not getting picked up right now just because the world kind of feels like a dystopia. That doesn't mean that they won't work in five or 10 years or, or maybe less than that. I think that that's, it's, it's not like there's one objective measure of good and that's getting published. That's, that's not true at all, but I, I can see how people would um, mistake that for being true. I love this so much from Helen, who has been with us since the very beginning. She was a um, original founding member at the Manuscript Academy. It's good to see, you know, people for years in their journey. She wrote, critique is painful. You have to get the right person, one who knows your genre, one who understands whether you're looking for an overall critique or word by word gotcha. It helps to have clear directions. Did the fight scene work or is this something the main character would do? And it helps to tamp down this initial, nah, your mom is ugly reaction that seems so natural to some of us or maybe just me. <laughs> I love the comment. Amy replied, after a recent rejection, I spent about 24 hours randomly muttering, oh yeah, well, you're not compelling. (laughs) 
which I think is fine. I mean, a lot of people in the comments have given the very good advice that you need to take a little time before you react. No one's going to say, oh no, you didn't get back to me in 12 hours. No, I think 24 is completely fine. 24 is smart because yeah, your first reaction is probably going to be like, no, that's stupid. I'm not doing that, whatever. So just giving yourself a little bit of time to like calm down, turn it into an intellectual reaction versus an emotional reaction, I think is a really smart thing to do. I agree. And, and, you know, it's funny, I've talked a little bit about my different writing groups that I've been in over the years. And sometimes you're, you're in a situation where you're getting critiqued by strangers. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you know, like, you have to take that critique for what it is. You have to take the critique from very trusted readers for what it is. And then the professionals, that's kind of a different level of critique as well, because sometimes that's a clue as to, you know, what, you know, what, why it isn't picking up with the industry. But I do think that it's interesting to have cold beta readers, to have your trusted readers, to have, and, and to actually really kind of like have a sense of the experience of your critique group. You know, I'm really lucky right now to be in a critique group where when they say something, I better listen, <laughs> you know, because they're just so smart. And the nuance is how they talk about books and character and scene. Like I trust them implicitly, you know, and so you do have to kind of consider sometimes the source and consider the experience level of the group too, you know. So if they said, Julie, this has got to be set in space, you would put it in space? Well, I mean, I would question my ability to put anything in space. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, mean, I would certainly listen to them and I would consider it highly. And it's interesting, we're in the membership side, we've been doing these critiques where we do write-ins and then from the write-ins, we all go into a cold critique. And you know, that can be really valuable or sometimes that can be not as valuable. And just knowing that going into it, you know, I think it's important. That's not being, that being said, a negative critique does hurt. And yeah, definitely. I don't think you need to like ever expect that you're going to be totally fine with your book being torn apart. Right. And so like they talk here, like Brenda says, this is cool. On our critique group, it includes successful authors and even an MBA finalist. We use the sandwich rule, which is always start with a positive, then what needs work, and then end with a positive. And when the work is fresh and new, we give cheerleader and question critiques as opposed to anything negative. We tell what we love, we tell what we're wondering what, about based on what's going on the page so far, but we're gentle because the work is fragile. So at that point, we've been together for about 15 years. I love I love like the fragility of early work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you just need to write just a, just a load of a hot mess to find the gold in your story. You know, sometimes I think of it kind of like topiaries, right? Like there's the growing phase and then there's the yeah. trimming it back phase. If you don't have enough on there before you start trimming it into a shape, it's going to be really hard to get enough of that creative energy in there. And I think that it's really important to, I mean, It depends on the person. Maybe you need 50 pages to really get an idea anchored onto the page. Maybe maybe you need less than that. But I think it's really important to feel like you've captured enough of that energy and grown it enough before you hand the garden shears or the red pen to somebody and you're like, have at it. Right. Because you need that confidence in your vision. I think that's so important. And you need to know that you're 
you're at a place where even if someone cuts all the leaves off and it's just a few twigs, mm-hmm. you can still see what was originally there. Yeah. I mean, my work in progress gulp. I mean, it's like, I think it's, it's on its fifth draft, full rewrite. It's a full rewrite. And I remember an award-winning writer said to me in a critique, wow, you're ambitious. <laughs> and you know what? But she was right. Like, it, like the story, like the idea is ambitious and it's still ambitious, but I didn't really have the chops to try to do what I was trying to do in that moment, you know? And I can see now that my muscle for the, the project I'm working on is that much stronger. So it's almost like all of those critiques I ever got have led me to three quarters of this draft. And I'm having such a hard time finishing because I'm having a hard time finding creative space. And at this point, I don't want critique because I've already had all of the other critiques. So at this point, I can trust all of those voices that came prior to me sitting down with this cold draft. I think that's interesting too. Every critique pushes you somewhere else or it shows you a path or it shows you a nugget. And those are those ideas are all this exchanges of energy that pushes you forward. And, and I do feel like that you have to be accepting of the process to actually get to that level. I don't know if I'll ever sell this project, but I know it's in good shape. I can look at it now and know it's in good shape. And I can justify why I have certain things on a page. And no one can make me fight me on those things anymore because I know why they're there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Well, and also it almost sounds like instead of starting at your local gym, you went to the Olympics and that's where you learned to do everything. <laughs> and um, I can see, and, and it also sounds almost like you went to the Olympics, you didn't choose a sport, you started training in everything, which probably makes it harder initially, but then you come out of it with all these skills that are transferable. And it's, it's you know, writer gym. Right. And I think that it's writer Jim, writer, writer calisthenics. (laughs) Um, I didn't come up with that. I've heard that somewhere else, but like, I, I wish I had, you know, I think, I think it had a little barbell behind its logo. (laughs) Um, But I think it's kind of like when we do our write-ins, you know, we're guiding people in, okay, you're going to learn to build character in this way and everyone's doing it together and you can see everyone figuring it out together. And it's not, designed so that you get something you take home and you expand on and turned into a published book later is designed so that you it's designed so that you have that muscle for the next project that you're working on you can't expect Absolutely. everything you do to turn into something you publish no and sometimes and honestly i'm avoiding my hard piece with fluff and utter i have another project that's total fluff and utter I, it's like, I go in there and I'm like, la, la, la. It's not hard to write, <laughs> you know, because it's just a different genre and it's easier and has less layered and has less nuances. And that's totally fine too. I love this from Kathy. One method I have used with the critiques is to repeat back the last portion of whatever the person said to me in the form of a question. For example, a person, a person could say, the stakes aren't high enough there. I, p- I reply, the stakes are not high enough here. They reply, the stakes are not high enough enough here because I'm not connecting with the character. I reply, you're not connecting with the character here. 
et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> this forces a person giving a critique to get more specific and elaborate, elaborate further. The more you do this, more specific the advice. And then she wrote, I learned this technique from a hostage negotiation masterclass. Whoa. <laughs> That's oh just my funny. Goodness. But it's true. Those clarifying, like, but the, by asking clarifying questions sometimes, you can unlock what it is. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like active listening to the extreme. Right. I mean, I um, would do that more with with you, like your local critique group and not like a 10 minutes with an expert. <laughs> right. It's, like, it's, I feel like that's like, a, that's time consuming. But like, if you had time and you were having a conversation with your local critique group, that would be a perfect, that's kind of really interesting technique. That is um, interesting. Um, it makes me, <laughs> I mean, my first thought, honestly, <laughs> no, um, honestly, my first thought was that would be a great way to respond to a critique you hate too. Oh my um, gosh. So if you absolutely hate what they're saying, or in general, if you hate what anyone is saying and you ask clarifying questions, they're either going to incriminate themselves. I don't know why I'm thinking about hostage negotiation again. They're either going to incriminate themselves or they're going to give you useful information if, you know, as long as you're kind enough that they don't just shut down. So I think that's, I think if you're panicking because you're, say, in a critique group and everyone, it feels like, is attacking your story, that's a great way to, like, know what to say while you gather yourself so you don't cry. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that we should talk about, and there's so much great things in this thread. Like we might have to do another one of these. Yeah. <laughs> because there's so much good stuff here. Someone said, when defending your writing becomes defending yourself. And that is something that happens a lot. And I think we all need to understand that our work is like a child to us, but they're not us. <laughs> You know, it is a separate entity. And I and I would say that you need to, as you go about, and this is like your writing, your professional life, uh, being a podcaster. I know that when we put ourselves out there, you know, it's just doing live events, people will critique us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'd be like, oh, oh, no, you know, and then. Yeah, like, know, like, like they're like, we don't care about you. Get back to the work. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that's really hard. And like, we felt that was hard when we got critiqued, you know, that we were, you know, someone said we were Valley Girl and someone, you know, oh, and yeah. if you said that, we, we laughed too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, one you know, star. J- Jessica is from California. I am. I want to be a Valley Girl, of course. Um, but, or we were too folksy. We didn't get down to business, you know, and those are things that I feel like we've actually integrated but they stung, but like, we have tried to like give ourselves some grace in the process, right? You are just sticking your feet out and just being like, don't hate me. (laughs) (laughs) But we like totally, Julie, like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't even, I I don't even, I can't even do it. I can't, I just made an accident with. I I was better about, better at it around when, when Clueless came out, it was easier back then for some reason. But yeah, I think no matter what you do, and I'm sure Brene Brown, I'm has, I'm sure has talked about this right. a, a great deal. It's always very easy to be watching from the arena and just throwing things at the performers. It's when you get in there yourself and you're and you're doing something that you really like feel the full weight of what you're doing. 
But yeah, I've absolutely seen people like, you know, watch Food Network and they don't, they don't cook, they don't bake. And they're like, oh, you totally did that wrong. Um, okay. <laughs> I'd like to right. see you try to do that. Um, like we're, yeah. So we're just all human. And I think what we do at the Management Academy, and I think it's our rule is we just try to lead with kindness, <laughs> you know? And with our critiques, right? And if you don't have a good, like, if a, if a critique didn't hit you right, which happens, of course, you know, like, we're, of course, willing to try to make you understand what happened in that critique. But, you know, sometimes it really is about checking your ego at the door. And actually, you know, someone, someone wrote that, checking your ego, the subjectivity of writing is here. And the, you know, give as good as you get a great way to handle critiques is to offer to critique for someone else at the same level. And therefore you do get a little bit more detached as you kind of start going through this. But guys, I guess what we're saying, and we're going to have to wrap up now, because we could just go on forever, but is that there's layers, you know, it's hard, but it's the best thing you can do for yourself as a writer and artist and as a human. Miriam brings up a great point that you can't take every single bit of advice because you'd be sent in every direction. One thing I tell my clients and one thing I would advise all of you on submission to do is to look for the patterns. You know, if three or more people specify one thing they think you need to change, okay, pay attention to it. But you will always get things that are like, I like the voice. I hate the voice. I I like this character. I hate this character. You know, if you assign a point system, so it's like plus one for character, minus one for character, then you're even, right? So I think that's just a way to quantify your advice, make it feel less painful. Every time you get a good writing, mark that down. I know sometimes you can have 10 people say your writing is fantastic and one person is like, ah, the writing's fine. And you'll be sad all day about your writing, right? When you could just look at it numerically and see the overall pattern. So yeah, I would encourage people to look for the patterns versus the very specific advice just to analyze it from that perspective. I know it's really hard to think of your book as a product because it's something you love so much. But if it was a car that you were building and people were like, I don't know, you should probably have headlights, eventually enough of that advice will come through that you'd probably add headlights and everyone would be healthier and safer and illuminated. That is my favorite metaphor that that I've heard in a long time, right? And it's from someone who doesn't drive. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. All right. Hey, all of you, we're rooting for you. You've got this. Best of luck. Go team. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.